This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intricasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the so-called global gag rule. With me to discuss the topic is Jonathan Rux, Senior Director of Advocacy at PAI, formerly Population Action International. Mr. Rux, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, David. Mr. Rux's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, the global gag rule, known more formally as the Mexico City Policy, announced by President Reagan during a 1984 UN population conference in that city, has been in and out of effect depending on whether the White House is held by a Republican or Democrat. The policy does not prohibit U.S. funding for abortions overseas. This is already illegal under the Helms Amendment. The global gag rule goes considerably further by blocking U.S. funding of foreign nonprofits or NGOs that provide abortion counseling and referrals or advocates to discriminalize abortion or expand abortion services. Specifically, this means foreign NGOs are required to certify they will not perform or promote abortion as a method of family planning using non-U.S. funds or private funds, even if abortion is legal in said country. As initially enacted between 84 and 93, the policy only spoke to abortion. However, when re-implemented in 01, it was expanded to cover other forms of contraception. The policy does allow for abortions in response to rape, incest, or life-threatening conditions. And finally, the gag rule has enormous significance because the U.S. contributes approximately $600 million in family planning funding overseas and approximately $9 billion in overall global health funding. So with that as background, John... Um, welcome again, and let me uh, start by asking, can you briefly describe your work or PAI's work? PAI is a global advocacy organization, and we work here in Washington, D.C., and with partners uh, in developing countries around the world to really champion policies and funding to ensure quality reproductive health care for women and girls. Great. Thank you. So let's get into... I obviously did not state uh, what the Trump administration has done. So a year ago, uh, last week, President Trump uh, signed an executive order relative to re-implementing this rule. Can you explain uh, what the Trump or how the Trump administration appreciably expanded the global gag rule? Yeah, you gave a really good history uh, about the back and forth, David, on how uh, Republican administrations and, and proponents advocate for this policy, and then when Democratic administrations come in, they repeal it. And the Trump administration moved within the first couple days of his administration to instate the policy, but massively expanded it at the same time. So in previous administrations, this was, the policy was limited to family planning assistance. What the Trump administration came in and did is said that they were going to expand the policy uh, to all U.S. global health assistance. So just to break that down, that's a 15 times expansion of the policy. 
Um, if it was limited to just family planning assistance, we'd be talking about $575 million. Again, even if it was limited there, it still is a really harmful policy. But this move, this expansion, means that now we're talking about as much as $8.8 billion being impacted. And I think the nuance of the policy is really important, too. You got to this, where it's, we're talking about foreign NGOs who have to agree to the policy. And it's not targeting their U.S. funding. It's saying that with their private funding, if they agree to take U.S. global health assistance, they can't, again, with their private funding, uh, provide abortion services, counsel reform, or advocate for more liberalized policies. Um, and, you know, this, this is a confusing policy. It's hard to really get your head around it. And we're talking now about entirely new sectors, a new group of actors in, in global health assistance who have to quickly get up to speed about what this policy means um, moving forward. So thank you. So let's just be clear in the expansion, and you know it the 15 times, so that's the 500-odd million to the 8.8 .8 billion that this includes. And the way that works is that now these um, uh, overseas entities uh, that provide family planning and any other uh, health care delivery, uh, say, for example, they're providing unrelated family planning, say, healthcare related to tuberculosis or malaria or other uh, healthcare issues overseas, they also, too, have to attest to not using any private funds. Is that correct? Precisely. What we're saying now is any organization um, that accepts U.S. global health assistance, so if you're from sectors beyond family planning, if you're from HIV or maternal child health, you now have to, as an organization, you have to agree to comply with this U.S. policy, even with respect to your own private funding. Great, thank you. And just to be clear, and I couldn't find this, so I think I know the answer, but let me ask, are, do any other countries have anything similar to this rule? Not to my knowledge. I mean, certainly... Uh, a country, the U.S. even, is entitled to say what can and can't happen with the funding that they provide. But it's this extension of the U.S. policy, in this case, to the private funding, uh, which is really the overreach. And that private funding is funding raised uh, by an organization from individuals or other donor governments, for example. But the U.S. is really saying our policy trumps that. And if you're going to accept our funding, we're going to um, gag or silence, which is where we get the global gag rule, what you can and can't do with that private funding. Okay, thanks again. Let's get into the effect of this, which is really the heart of, of this issue. So my study shows that uh, this can affect approximately 60 low- and middle-income countries who receive um, uh, related funding. Uh, there's a long list of potential, if not real, uh, downside effects. Can you uh, discuss these, please? Yeah, that's true, the 60 countries. I mean, those are U.S. global health assistance benefits 60 low- and middle-income countries. So we're looking at all of those countries that could be impacted. Um, during the last iteration of the global gag rule, 
PAI work to document the impact. And again, that's when it was limited just to family planning assistance. Um, and what we saw um, in, in one country, in Ghana, for example, when a provider there decided that they were not going to agree to the policy, that meant that they, were, they lost $200,000 in U.S. Uh, family planning assistance moving forward. It was $200,000 each year. And what that meant for that one provider is that their nursing staff dropped by 44%. And as a result of that nursing staff dropping, that meant that access to family planning services fell as well. And we saw a 40% decrease in family planning services. Um, and this impacted well over 1,300 communities. And that was just one provider in one country when it was solely focused on family planning assistance. Now we have, again, we're talking all U.S. global health assistance in well over 60 countries. So we are just at the early stages of really beginning to wrap our heads around the impact and seeing the impact as it's, as it's playing out now where partners are just agreeing to decide to comply or not and, and forego U.S. Um, global health assistance. So really at the early stages of the impact, but based on how this played out in the past, we can forecast um, that the negative consequences that this is going to have. Okay, thank you. So uh, the downturn, this, uh, the effect is the downturn in the use of contraceptives. Um, what does that specifically lead to uh, clinically, including, of course, ironically, unintended pregnancies, et cetera? Right. So what this policy does is it, it targets trusted, qualified providers, and it forces those providers to make a decision about moving forward with U.S. global health assistance or not. And in a lot of those cases, when the providers aren't going to move forward, we're, we're going to see them suffer losses in the organizational budgets. And those providers could be forced to close clinics and leave communities. And that means that women and girls in those communities aren't going to have access to needed health services. And in the past, this has meant that we've seen unintended pregnancies increase. And as a result of those unintended pregnancies increasing, we've seen unsafe abortions increase and maternal deaths as a result. Yes, uh, I read some statistics beyond unintended pregnancies. Ironically, an increase in the number of abortions, unsafe abortions, and as you know, maternal deaths, and the general loss of other health care or related health care uh, services. Um, the uh, reading I did further, and let's just be clear, it's called the gag rule because, as you suggested, it restricts free speech, meaning these providers cannot discuss uh, all the alternatives uh, with their patients. Um, what are the, and to be fair here, what, what are the arguments in support of the gag rule. So the, uh, I want to be clear that the advocacy community, the, the, those of us in, who oppose this policy, have, have called it the global gag rule. Um, pre, prior to the Trump administration, it was known as the Mexico City policy. Mm -hmm. And the Trump administration came in and renamed it the Protecting Life and Global Health Assistance. And based on how this policy has played out in the past, and, you know, what we know about the way providers work in the field and deliver services, this is, 
for, for me, the Trump administration naming and protecting life is, is a false pretense. You know, this is, this is not going to protect life. Mm-hmm. This, this policy itself is going to lead to um, increases in the number of abortions because we're talking about cutting off providers, cutting off services to women and girls, cutting off contraceptive access is, is how this plays out in the field. Yes, and in fact, I did read uh, Ethiopia, unsafe abortions is the second leading cause of death after HIV-AIDS. Uh, you mentioned, uh, if you could detail further, you mentioned, and we'll go to, there was a, a congressional effort in response, but we'll get to that. Could you de- detail a bit further about your research going forward and try and understand the magnitude of the effect? Yes, I think it's important to understand that we're talking about um, a policy that's going to punish women in already challenging situations. You know, I think, I, I grew up in rural Minnesota. So for me, I, I think through what that would mean if the clinic in my hometown would close and would another provider move in and take over that clinic or would I be forced to find a clinic elsewhere? And I think the way this has played out in the past and what we're anticipating is that it's not easy for another provider to move in and set up in these clinics. You have to build trust. You have to ensure that you have the financial resources to move into some of these areas. And in a lot of instances, if a provider who's receiving global health assistance right now decides that they're not going to comply, they may leave communities and that community may not have a provider at all. Um, And we're talking then about women and girls and their families who are going to have to look for services elsewhere. And a health system in a number of countries that may be adversely impacted as a result. Mm-hmm. So these, as you know, are already inherently uh, healthcare shortage areas, however uh, phrased overseas. Let's go to, um, I did read in 2015 there was an effort uh, in the Congress to try and uh, prohibit uh, reinstating this policy by executive order so we wouldn't have this back and forth as administrations changed. This was Senator from New Hampshire, Shaheen, who attempted to move this legislation. It failed. Has there been over the past year any uh, congressional efforts to try and uh, address this in any way? Yes. uh, Actually, within 24 hours of the president announcing this this presidential memorandum reinstating and and expanding the policy, uh, legislation was introduced in both the House of Representatives by uh, Congresswoman Nita Lowy from New York, and in the Senate, Senator Jean Shaheen from New Hampshire. It's called the Global Her Act, and it would permanently repeal um, the the global gag rule um, to 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 prevent this seesaw back and forth, uh, which really undermines relationships and and service delivery in the field. Senator Shaheen also, through the appropriations process moves an amendment in the state foreign operations um, subcommittee on appropriations to repeal the global gag rule. Um, you know, we have we have the support in the Senate to do that, but as you know, the House is led by conservatives, and, and it doesn't advance when we um, get to negotiations between the House and Senate. Thank you. I'll note, too, that uh, the European Parliamentary Forum on Population and Develop has actually petitioned the Congress uh, relative to this issue, meaning uh, 
over 230 of their members uh, signed a petition uh, condemning uh, this policy. So there is actually efforts by foreign entities to try to uh, influence this. Um, let, let me ask about um, public opinion polling or polling data. Curious to know. Uh, now, this assumes that the public is aware of this rule, uh, global gag or Mexico City, however you want to term it. But is there public opinion polling data on this? So we don't have recent polling on this issue. We're actually working on that currently with another organization. As part of that, though, we've engaged a number of individuals and focus groups. And I think it's fair to say that when we talk to everyday Americans about this policy and explain to them this idea that the U.S. government is extending their policy, their viewpoint to the private funding, there's some, there's a, a lot of discomfort and some real pushback of the policy then once that nuance is, is further explained. Okay, thank you. My, my last question is, obviously, uh, funding by other countries uh, is now more dear, and foreign funders uh, for this purpose are obviously well aware of the U.S. policy. Uh, what's the response been, say, by, amongst others, the Scandinavian countries and others I think it would be difficult, if not impossible, to make up for this, ostensibly, this funding shortfall. Yeah, there's a couple things here for me that I, I think are important to share. Um, you talked about the parliamentarians who expressed their viewpoint. Um, PII was happy to lead that effort with the European Parliamentarian Forum, and I think that was a really important first step um, in the immediate aftermath of the administration's move to reimpose the Mexico City policy and then expand that was an important uh, pivot point to say, look, there's a number of governments that stand in opposition to this policy. Um, that, I think, led to m more supportive progressive European governments coming together under a movement called She Decides, where they're directing more funding from their own um, government coffers to progressive sexual reproductive health and rights policies. I think, though, at the same time, we have to be really clear that the U.S. government is one of the largest donors uh, to global health worldwide. And while we're seeing short-term um, support for, to, fill, to fill some of these holes, I think we have to be clear that that's not necessarily sustainable in the long term. Um, it, it's really hard to make up for what the U.S. government provides. Absolutely, certainly. Just out of curiosity, U.S. foundations, obviously the Gates Foundation, uh, heavily invested in, in global health. Uh, what's, what's the response been specifically from those organizations? So they, too, have been very clear about not being able to fill um, uh, the void that the U.S. may leave in this space. The Gates Foundation was very clear about that early on. Okay, Jonathan, I'll, I'll just say, and I have these notes uh, in conclusion. So in sum, the results here are um, that are lost are, are fewer unplanned uh, pregnancies, maternal deaths and abortions, and when women have control of their reproductive rights, uh, reproductive health rather, it improves their long-term health, obviously as it relates to uh, maternal mortality, and children, uh, their health, and creates obviously uh, economic uh, benefits. So with that, Jonathan, I'll give you the last word. Uh, final comment? 
Yeah, I would I would say that, you know, we talked about one of the long-term solutions that we're working on, which is this legislation. But I think we all recognize that that's going to be an uphill battle. So in the short time, short term, we're working with our partners in the field um, to make sure that they understand the policy, which, you know, this is something I've been working on my entire career. And it's a heavy, hard policy to understand. And for a lot of organizations, this is new as of January. So trying to be really clear with them um, and work through their questions on the operational burden, um, the activities that can and should still continue, even with this incredibly restrictive policy in place. And I think trying to meet organizations where they're at and really um, working with them to mitigate the harm and to figure out smart ways to implement this policy so that we don't reverse decades of really great progress um, that has been made in part with U.S. government global health assistance. Great, Jonathan. So with that, we're at our time boundary. So I'll say thank you for this overview. A very important subject, and I wish you best of luck. Thank you so much. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.